It is the 21st century. There are too many video games. But out there, it's waiting. The best video game you've never played. Hello and welcome to the best video game you've never played, the podcast where I, stand-up and improv comedian Lewis Dunn, invite a guest on to bring on a video game that I have never played. I then play it for some time, get them on the podcast, and we have a chat about whether or not it is the best video game you have never played. This week's guest is Glenn Moore. He is a stand-up comedian. Uh, You might know him from shows such as Mock the Week, you might know him from the Absolute Radio Breakfast Show, and you might know him because he has been streaming video games over the past couple years. Uh, In 2020, he tried to stream over 100 video games and succeeded, and now, 2021, he's trying to stream 101 video games, uh, and is currently on his way to successfully doing that. Uh, He... I I found out about his streaming project uh, while browsing Twitter, and I thought, surely somebody who is approaching 201 games completed over two years, has a video game that I would love to play that I've never heard of. And you know what? He absolutely delivered something that I had not considered before. And when he brought it onto the podcast, I was like, this is going to be really interesting to see whether or not I like this game. Because boy, oh boy, did I not think that this game was going to be my sort of a thing. Is it my sort of a thing? The only way to find out is to keep listening. So let's join the podcast now as we sit down with Glenn Moore. Hello, Glenn. How are you? I'm very well, Lewis. Thank you very, very much for having me. Not at all. Not at all. Are you keeping nice and warm where you are? Are things okay there? Yeah, everything's fine. It's chilly, but it's okay. I've got uh, my my room is the room where I I stream and play video games uh, is is darker than it normally is because I had blinds installed. Now I've lived here for nearly two years, and this has been a place where when guests have stayed overnight, they have been woken up by the blinding sunshine at six a.m. and we've <laughs> finally finally rectified it nearly two years in so um, that's um, that's that's why i'm like essentially in darkness illuminated only by a lamp yes well that's ideal for streaming as well i understand you don't want it it. feels really cozy i've got to say i feel cozy right now i feel really cozy that's good stuff i mean you've been doing a lot of streaming lately haven't you? you've been trying to do is it 101 games it is 101 games i'm in the early 70s at the moment so uh we're down to the final we're in the 20s of what's left um and it's looking doable but i found it very easy to do it last year when i did 100 games and that came about accidentally because lockdown happened i was just on the sofa every day playing loads and loads of video games having the summer holidays that i never had as a child and just (laughs) playing game after game after game and it got to about september october and i suddenly realized hang on i think i've played about 80 games and i worked it out and i had and i counted them all up and then when i started streaming in november last year i thought you know what let's try and do 100 that's a nice round figure to try and do and then this year I thought, let's up the ante, let's try and do 101. And then uh, and then the scientists had to find a cure, didn't they? Uh, sending us back out of lockdown and me back into, you know, the world of stand-up comedy and writing and performing and television and radio that has ultimately been a huge detriment to juggle alongside trying to finish 101 games. It has been a yes. wretched experience this year <laughs> uh, and not one I'm in any hurry to repeat. But uh, I have also discovered games I would otherwise have never played. Uh, and some of those have been dreadful, but some have been amongst my favourites I've ever played. I've found some real diamonds in the rough. Well, I think that's fascinating, because this is one of the reasons I started this this podcast as well, was I basically sort of realised, I don't know about you, when 
when we got told to stay indoors mm. and like we basically suddenly playing video games was uh, in favor of the national effort. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly we were a hero for staying indoors and just playing old games. Um, a part of me was just a bit like. I feel like I play too many of the same games. I feel like I play the same genres way too often, and I find myself just picking up familiar things. I'm like, no, I want to push outside of my safety zones and push outside of what I normally play. Yeah, absolutely. And I think indie games... I mean, I can't remember the last time I played a generic indie game. There have been some really, truly bizarre things I've never played. I mean, but also there were games I'd say heard of and people I knew loved, but I just didn't like the sound of like for instance i was really reluctant to play say untitled goose game because oh, really? i hate video game humor i think it is it it's never done at a professional standard and it's really really it, it's really poor stuff and i thought untitled goose game based on just the general tone of it i thought it was going to be a bit epic bacon and a bit oh this is for elon musk fans it just wasn't i thought it was going to be infuriating um and i played it and it was actually a really sweet game and I, I was really surprised about it. I would never have normally played something like that. Um, similarly, I went into last year hating the idea of Dark Souls games. I just hated the oh, idea yeah, of them. Yeah. I always just thought they looked ugly and grey and brown. And, and the, the, the concept was, oh, they're hard and you die loads. And it was like, I don't understand. It doesn't even look good. Why would I, why would I want that? Um, and I really forced myself to just, look, try Dark Souls on the Switch. Give that a go. Yeah. And I fell in love with the genre. And now that is probably the one I play. That's probably the genre I now play too much of. And I need to sort of expand. <laughs> I need to expand my horizons outside of that. Um... But yeah, I think I just, once I ran out of like really mainstream games to play, I started to look at sort of indie titles and stuff like that. There's yeah. so many things out there which don't even like, wouldn't even register with the average person as a game. I still think so many people out there either think video mm. games are Pac-Man or <laughs> Fortnite. And those are the only two things yes, that there yeah. are. Whereas like, I pl- like a great game I played last year was... Um, Called Observation. Have you ever played that or heard of it? I I've done Observation on this podcast. I, I really? recommend oh, you it. have. Yes. I went through the list of previous games because I was like, when you were like, what game do you reckon you would like to do? Observation was one that came into my head as one where I thought I don't really know anyone else who's played it, and it isn't. It's it's purely an admin game. You play as an admin. Oh, yeah. Computer I, just the... doing just doing work. It's a job. It's it was a chore, but I loved yeah. it. Yeah, and it was creepy. What? I recommended it to so some sometimes on the podcast I get people on and I recommend a game to them and I recommended observation to uh, previous guest Mungo right on the basis I thought I'd never felt more immersed in a video game like the yeah. way that it used like the filters and like the it was like it was graphically impressive but that wasn't why I was immersed I was immersed because I recognized the interfaces and I recognized like the VHS like signal interference exactly it's, it's like that sort of alien uh, Ridley Scott sort of used future dynamic that I really sort of enjoyed, but it was clunky. And even though you yeah. were playing this high tech machine, it had still had like awkward loading screens and stuff like that. Yes. It was just, it was, it just felt very Soviet. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was excellent. That 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 was truly excellent. And again, I would never ever. And I played that probably in like the first week or two of lockdown. Um, and mm. that I I hope sort of set a precedent of things to come. I mean, it's a hell of a game to play in lockdown because that is a game about isolation and being terrified of leaving somewhere. <laughs> it was. Well, so it does sort of but match at, But up. at the same time, when you've got nothing to do and a game is literally giving you task after task after task and the, ga- the content of the game is you have a job, it actually really gives you a sense of purpose. Because <laughs> I, I, I was quite fortunate in that the radio show I do in the mornings, that's hmm. still carried on in lockdown. Geeks, to some extent, carried on in lockdown, but in a Zoom capacity. Um, yeah. And TV shows still sort of happened, but they, they sort of happened in a sort of social distance way. Everyone had to be sort of very, very safe. Um, my girlfriend works as a comedy writer and most of the TV shows that she was writing on at the time were being postponed or being outright cancelled stuff like the Vigot News for you and Mot the Week and mm. she found during that first few weeks of lockdown that so many people found difficult herself included 
that she um we bought Stardew Valley and she found that just oh. having those tasks and having responsibilities every day was just something that really sort of gives you purpose sort of every day and she she would just spend hours on it in the evenings as sort of like this it, it's something to to do and there's you know even though it's a graphical virtual achievement it still does feel like saying you know you if, if human body isn't conditioned to to being put to work for you know decades at a time and then suddenly just having nothing for no reason yes, and it yeah. really really helped just sort of e- ease sort of people into lockdown i think that games like that are perfect for i'm playing stardew at the moment and I, I love it i feel like you've also explained why animal crossing was an enormous hit because again it has that daily obligation of turning up and doing things yeah exactly i i hit animal crossing at exactly the wrong time i got animal crossing for christmas most recent christmas just gone yeah so just as what li- life was starting to sort of open up again and uh, i think animal crossing was not so much a stardew oh you know collecting these things collecting that things it was more of a sociable event of me and my friends are meeting up in this town and we're doing oh, something yes. yeah, yeah. um and so i joined animal crossing just as everyone was leaving and that felt oh, no. actually my, so my very brief experience of animal crossing was actually really depressing yeah you're turning, um, turning because there was just the nothing there wasn't and there was nothing to do oh my god it was gosh. just me and tom nook it was <laughs> just you and you and a tanuki you owe money just staring yeah. at you <laughs> Well, look, so this is the thing. When we're talking about jobs and we're talking yeah. about uh, obligations and things, you have brought along a game. Also, an, another fantastic example of exactly the kind of game I would never have picked for myself. I very Same. much feel... I, I would not have picked this. I would not have picked this. And it was one of the first games I played this year. And I think it was free briefly for PlayStation users. And so I thought, oh, let's give this a go. Yeah. And... Um, so, oh my God! Why don't you introduce us to the game that you have brought along that you think is the best video game that I've never played? Uh, I'm going to recommend Frostpunk. Now, I, in terms of genres of stuff we'd never even played, I would never normally have played a city building sim. Mm. I wasn't really that au fait with sort of isometric, you know, uh, city simulations in the first place. I sort of played similar sort of things like uh, Command and Conquer in the '90s. And Age of Empires 2 in the sort of early 2000s. But I sort of veered away from my sort of things. Because I've always liked video games that have a storyline, a structure. And campaigns that have like a specific endpoint and end credits. So I yeah. know when to stop. Because I knew as a teenager I got too into things like Prevo And there was just no logical end. <laughs> just... And so you just sort of think, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to perpetually do this for the rest of my life. Um, but at the same time I didn't really like it when Age of Empires 2 did have a campaign. Because I was like, no, you want the freedom to just expand your empire and see where it goes. Yeah, um, and I start to get... Sorry. There's a kicking over of the sandcastle sometimes you get in strategy games like this where you're like, but I built everything. I built it all. And then they go, no, new level. And you go, oh, all my work. Exactly. And so that was never that was never really sort of up my street. And then I really got into Crusader Kings 2 and 3 last year, which is as in-depth as a, yeah. as a management sim can sort of really get. And I love those. And so when I first heard about Frostpunk, I was like, I'm not sure this really appeals. It sounded bleak, the concept being that um, it is this sort of parallel sort of universe, I guess, but uh, in this sort of Victorian society, the temperatures plunge to about, what is it, 100 minus 150 degrees Celsius? It's, it's yeah. insanely cold. And you uh, you basically play as a group of Victorian townspeople, a mixture of just regular, regular humans and some trained engineers who decide to push north as they think that that will be where the cooler sort of elements are. Africa is just completely frozen over. Mm. Um, And they find in basically the middle of the highlands this enormous sort of chimney, this huge cylindrical generator uh, that needs to be fueled with coal and they sort of get up and running again and that sort of gets the temperature to, you know, a really sort of decent degree. Um, 
But the game basically just puts you in that situation and sort of goes, right, you've got a bunch of coal and steel and wood together. Uh, you're basically living in a large crater with a generator in the middle. Start building your city. And uh, it is a campaign. It does have an end point. Mm. But you just deal with these villages and you sort of build up this town. Because because the generator is circular and in the middle, you build the city in a circle around it. So it just looks... it Visually, it just looks pretty to sort of build that. But you build a combination of sort of tents to just house people as an emergency measure. And then you try to upgrade those to huts and then to houses. You've got medical bays to sort of make sure that people who are sort of too cold can be sort of treated. You've got engineering buildings, which allow your engineers to work and research more stuff like... Um, basically huge sawmills that uh, collect the wood so that your villagers don't have to in the freezing cold yeah. and things called like a coal thumper which does the same for cold and then a steel works but Every couple of days or so, the temperature just continually drops. Sometimes it rises again, but it just continually drops and you go, right, People, it's too cold for people to work. So we've got to hope our stockpiles are enough because, you know, you send hunters out every night to sort of gather food. Um, we've got to make sure we've got enough stockpiles for the next few days because no one can leave their houses for the next few days because it's just simply too cold. Yeah. So that, that element, it, I was like, that wouldn't have appealed to me. Uh, a couple of years ago but I really got into it and I loved it because it's so atmospheric the music is incredible it's like a Hans Zimmer soundtrack um, v- visually it just looks great it's just a really neat setting for where you sort of have your city and I quite like the idea of a city building sim where you are never ever on top of it it's a bit like it's yes. a difference between say The Last of Us and Uncharted is that if Age of Empires is your Uncharted game where you can just keep getting huge amounts of gold and iron and steel this is Last of Us where you're just scrimping for just whatever you can um but it expands outside of that it's not just this city sim where outside of that you can uh create a sort of traveling post where people in a very phineas fog sort of way oh, yes. build a hot air balloon and you travel to sort of different locations across a map you just send those out send those people out for days at a time and then it kind of turns into a bit of a D sort of oh, element okay. where where you know it's sort of it, 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 you sort of go oh your villagers have arrived at such and such a location and suddenly it turns into this sort of written screen where it's just text based yes, yeah. And it says, look, there are, you found this ship that is on a cliff face. Do you want to basically do like the end of the Italian job? Do you want to try and risk grabbing all the materials that's in there, but it looks like it's going to teeter over the edge? And so you can take the risk or just leave. Mm. And if you take the risk, it basically is a coin toss of whether or not your village is going to die or not. Yeah. Um, and I found that really sort of exciting. And you can also set up hunting outposts where they go, oh my God, we found a coal mine. And look, it's going to take three days a time to send people out there to get coal. But when they come back every three days, we've just got a huge amount of coal. And those those sort of elements sort of make you go, oh, good. You know, we've we've finally hit a bit of success. Yeah, yeah. Our luck is changing. But then you've also got these randomly generated events. Again, we're at sort of text base that come up and you might have villagers want a bit of a mutiny on their hands. People might be dissatisfied with this. People might want you to break up this new religious group that has sorted. You've got this sort of morality and happiness bar that basically drains or increases based on how you're doing. There is so much to do, but I basically played the game on pause 99% of the time. Oh, really? I played really? it so, so slowly. I I had it on the slowest setting. I would pause it every single day and just, or every single hour and just sort of go, right, what's happening here? What's happening here? Making sure everything was just perfectly sort of intertwined because it... When you are trying that hard to keep everyone alive, it is heartbreaking when one person dies. Because you really feel I am, that. I am fascinated because I feel like we've we've zoomed through so much of what this game is. Like you're right. It's this. Sorry. It's yeah. The, I've, I've, I've leapt into a spiel. It's this because I know I know you're about to criticize it. So well, I'm like, no, no, I no. Need I need to get my whole spiel across. <laughs> I feel like something. I feel like something I want to start with, and this is just to me. This is an important thing because even before I came on the call, I mistakenly called this game Steampunk. It's not called Steampunk. <laughs> it's called Frostpunk. Can I just start with? 
I have no idea why it's called Frostpunk. I get Frost. I totally understand Frost because this is a game about surviving in the cold and yeah. basically the whole game. The, the game has a series of like resource currencies. So you've got coal, yes. you've got food, you've got wood, you've got steel. Mm. And basically over time you learn in the game that the ones that matter are food and coal. And the only reason that you have wood and steel is to get more food and coal. Yeah. Um, so Frost completely sits with it. 100% understand that. I don't yeah. know why it's called Frostpunk. I think that's fairly obvious. It is a because st- it, it's a steampunk game. I mean, that's kind where of, the but, punk element comes but from. Pu- yeah, hundred percent is. If you just look at how everyone's dressed and everything about, yes, it's a Victorian society, but look at the automatons. But like the you the, get the steampunk, the punk element of steampunk is. N- they've taken the wrong bit. They've, they've taken, taken the, the wrong, wrong bit. bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The punk element is, and I I hate the use of the word punk in that context. I hate the name cyberpunk, for instance. Yeah. I, I wish, I really firmly wish, and I'm, I, again, I'll defend this game to the death, mm. but I do wish it was called anything, anything else. Anything else. Anything else. Because yeah. this is the thing, I went into Frostpunk going, oh no, am I going to like this? Is this going to well, be a bit the title put me off. Quirky. The title put me off. Um, also, I went into Frostpunk, so this is something that I think is massively in the game's favour, at least in, certainly in my personal taste book. I thought Frostpunk was going to be sprawling. I thought it was going to be a Crusader Kings type game. I thought it was going oh, to have right. so many systems. Like, uh, it's sort of initially looking at it, I'm basically looking at it going, oh, it's a depressing version of Civ. Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, because I quite <laughs> like Civ. But Civ is like, Civilization as a game, basically the way my brain works is, you can't follow everything, so pick the thing you care about and hope it works out. Yeah. And I'm looking at Frostpunk yeah, going, this is a game that's going to punish me for not paying attention. This is a game that's absolutely going to be like, no, you failed. Try again. You've got to do every single thing in yeah. Frostpunk. There's nothing you can ignore. You have to keep every single person happy. You've got to make sure every need is sort of catered for. I never went to the level of detail of clicking on this particular villager and then it shows you like happy cold and hungry yes, you know, i never yeah. did never did that like you know i i don't believe there is any any management sim out there mm. that does ever require you to do that i think it's just a nice little detail rather a roller coaster tycoon when you can click on individual guests and just find out if they want yes. a burger or something and you're like okay i'll build a burger exactly and but- you go well what i mean would you want me to pick you up and put you in a burger place that's it that's literally <laughs> it yeah but frostpunk it, the thing i really liked about it is that it is not sprawling you are in this you are in this little um crater where they're protected yeah. from the elements with and what 100 100 people things like 80 you start with 80 people yeah and it's like your options are at the start fairly limited but more to the point this game is just about building maintaining the city and telling people where to work and how you're going to allocate resources and i love that because i you've mentioned earlier stuff like age of empire Uh, another game i played for this podcast was stronghold Mm. and i find with both of these games i really like building a settlement collecting resources upgrading things to make them collect the resources better and managing that side of things and the thing that i always always hate in these games is when you have to then take a bunch of soldiers into war because i have no idea how to do military strategy in the <laughs> slightest i'm just like i don't know all the sword people attack the catapult i don't understand how to do war um I, honestly, age of empires 2 used to advertise itself like this and it really annoyed me it was sort of like how are you going to dominate the world yeah. through military might economically or will you be diplomatic and it's like those last two you can't really you can't do it like that somewhat if the richer you get the more likely you are to be attacked so that's just how it is whereas and in frostpunk you never there's no combat there's no no, no combat i love that element i love that element. sure there's certainly a lot of internal conflict but it's not like say something like crusader kings where you're marrying people off or you've got this argument of this person it's more a case of look these peasants are revolting 
what are you going to do? You've got 10 days to keep everyone happy or a bunch of them are going to leave. And again, when when we talk about Frostpunk, I'm mainly talking about that first campaign mission because there's there's four main campaign missions. The other three are, you know, fun little spins on it, but they basically feel like DLC. That first campaign is essentially the whole game. It's like a five-hour campaign. That that is the game. That's fully what the game is meant to be. I I, I enjoyed playing the other campaigns, but I was like, no, it's that first one that is... was unbelievably cinematic yes yeah just incredibly well paced and i think as well the the thing that sort of when i realized this about frostpunk that it wasn't going to be the sprawling game it was this game in this crater it started to remind me of other games so this is a, a weird comparison yeah but if you've ever played like tower defense games like plants vs zombies or if you've ever been like on, on right. online what's the thing on online flash games where you set up like mm. tower defense things because you begin to realize the game is not necessarily about like building the biggest army as quickly as possible and charging off like in a starcraft or command and conquer where it's like yeah it's so heavily twitch based and so heavily based on your ability to know exactly how to do things correctly it becomes mm. more like okay there is an optimal strategy to this game. There is actually a way to play Frostpunk that will consistently work if you can figure out what to do. And so yeah. my mindset just clicked. It's it's no longer a game in which I'm, I feel like I am at the mercy of an AI. I am at the mercy of events, and my job now is to be optimal rather than, like, quick and ruthless. Yeah. That fully makes sense, uh, and it and it does suit it. I never felt like I was having to do. I mean, sure, you have to make decisions on the fly, but I never really felt like oh, the game is you know the, the, the game is hitting you for doing this particular thing. Like in Age of Empires, where you sort mm. of go right, I've I've veered too much into this person's territory. As a result, the Persians are going to attack. Yes, you know, it's, yeah. it's not, it was nothing like that. It was like okay, I know these events are going to happen. I'm just going to make sure I'm prepared in sort of each way. And there was a I, I, basically management games. There's a fine line they tread, and the moment you reach the absolute epitome of happiness with those games, the epitome of satisfaction, they usually immediately veer into boring. And that's not the game's fault at all. But I, I just prayed for this moment in Frostpunk, and I got it, and I loved it, which was the moment where the city is now running by itself. I now have an absurd amount of supplies. The amount of profit I'm making is just I could shut down production of everything for a month and not feel not feel any any uh, exactly yeah. Um, and I think it was the automatons that did that because once I found, once my uh, Phineas Fogg balloon artists started to make their way into various caves, they found these. Uh, they found those steam cores. Yeah. And they managed to bring back a steam core every single day or every couple of days, which meant you could build a new automaton every couple of days, which meant by the time it got to the end of a campaign, every hospital, every engineering structure, everything was run by an automaton. And they run 24 hours a day. There were, there was no, my, villagers did, my villagers were all indoors doing nothing. That's, I didn't have any doctors working or anything like that. That's fascinating to me because I, so I, don't, so I was going to ask you as well, did you manage to beat this game on your first time through it? Did you yeah, manage to? Yeah, I did. Like, See, that to me is yeah. incredible. It took me four goes. And what I really like, I you've, you've said as well, this, this, the, the main campaign of this game is about five hours long, four or five hours long. Mm. And I love it for that. Because what I would do is I would sit down at my computer at about six, 
and go, right, here we go. We're going to have another crack at this. And because yeah. I've played it before, I know what events are coming. I know what to prepare for. And I also now yeah. know what is, a, what is a waste of my time. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it was, it was really interesting. So, for example, the automatons. I did find an automaton in the game because it's, part, it's sort of part of the main story if you follow what the game tells you to do, is you will find yeah. an automaton. What I found was I did not use the automaton. Did you I w- dismantle it? No, no, no. I, put, I would like put him on, I think I put him on gathering coal because I realised that coal burns 24 hours a day and I need to gather coal 24 hours a day. Yeah. But he only works at 60% efficiency. So my yeah. brain just went, well, anything I put him on is worse than me putting people on it. So but I'm going didn't you want to... Didn't you want to do the engineering upgrades where after a while they become more useful than a person i could not get the resources together to great do that. Okay. okay because i because i'm not sure i mean maybe you're just I, this is the thing i feel like this is a game where if you really click with it you yeah. can solve frostpunk it's almost like a rubik's cube in that sense it's not it's not just that frostpunk is a game that you engage with based on the things it's telling you there is yeah definitely a way you could sit down and solve the game to be the most efficient outcome and get the most things out and i yeah. feel like that's actually why i like it <laughs> yeah it makes like, sense because i'm so used to playing strategy games where i do not understand where i lost i like on stronghold in particular mm. there would always come a point in almost any level where i would be at a huge peak of I had loads of resources, I had loads of military, here we go, we're about to win, all my military's gone, and for some reason everyone's starving. What has happened? I don't understand (laughs) where everything went. Whereas Frostpunk, okay, it took me four goes to beat it, because this is just not my genre of game. Strategy games just obliterate me in terms of my ability to think. And I will admit, Frostpunk does have a big problem, which I found in the first one, which is for ages... There were just things that weren't happening that I did not understand. So you mentioned there's coal thumpers that will basically pull coal out of the ground. Yeah. What the game doesn't tell you is, sure, it'll pull it out of the ground, but you still need to collect it. Yeah, that's shit. That is some bullshit. And that's really just... annoying. And also I found, oh, you then also need to put gathering posts around yeah. it. So that then the efficiency is sort of increased. I didn't know. I, I stumbled across that by accident because the moment I... Built uh I never use wait, there's two things. There's a coal thumper and coal mine. I never use the coal mines ah. because I knew that coal mines eventually run out. They well I they, knew that. The as far as I could tell, I never had a coal mine run out on me, but that just means because I maybe didn't optimize the efficiency on it. But them. they also didn't bring out they did they don't bring you as much coal as a coal thumper, for instance. No, but so it does I, automatically I, gather it. It does automatically gather it, yes. Yeah, so I that was something I found like completely by mistake, and it was because I built a coal thumper, my mouse hovered over it, and I was like, oh, it's highlighted the coal, oh god, okay, I need to do something. Um, <laughs> but it was, it, I I think, I, I want to ask you about laws, mm. and um, yeah, laws you put into practice in any act, what, what, how, how, because it's a slippery slope. So this is interesting. And how bad yeah. did it get for you? Because I think the mo- cause of it, basically the, the game puts you in these sort of stressful situations where it's like, look, you don't have enough workers, you need to be gathering coal, do you want to enforce a law where the children now have to work in factories and stuff like that? And obviously, if the games go well for you, you go, no, I don't have to do that, I can keep everyone happy. But in desperate measures, you're like, yep, yeah, fuck it, yeah, and get the amputees to work as well, just all of them, <laughs> get them all to work. Well, this is the thing I found interesting about the laws was, I re- so the two things I realised about the laws were at the start you eventually the game will sort of prompt you it will go hey you can now instigate a law if you want to or an event will occur and it will go the people would like you to pass this law and the laws are sort of an ambiguous book of things you can do because you're right sometimes it's like child labor you can now put children to work and initially 
that seems okay because the law is children can work in safe jobs. For example, gathering the coal, picking up the coal, putting yeah. it in a hut. And you go, well, we're all going to muck in. Let's put the children in the cup. And if it makes people want... temporarily unhappy, but that is fine. You can build up that happiness again. Yes. And if you sort of, you know, you can go through the crisis management going, look, we just need children to do something to be happy and make it yeah. work. You can then also, later on, put children to work in any situation because now things yeah. are so desperate. And now you, and, and it's sort of the, it, it points out the benefits of doing this thing. There is always, like, we've mentioned this before, there's a hope bar and a discontent bar. And they sort of, they're not quite the exact opposite of each other. You can have high hope no. and high discontent at the same time. But they, these sort of reflect the mood of the people. And if your discontent gets too high and your hope gets too low, you are banished. Which happened to me twice. Um, <laughs> so uh, you have to be careful about signing the laws. But not all laws are detrimental. Some laws are actually pretty good. Some laws are going to help people. One of them that's pub, good. Pub, pub is the best one. You can open pub up is a the pub. Best one. It can open up a fighting club. Um, you can sign laws that are like actually super like inspiring to people. Like with, for example... Um, you mentioned the, um, amputees. You have to sign a law that gives people amputees, but then you can also promise to give them prosthetics. And then you yeah, can also great. put obligations onto yourself that will raise hope, but now you have to manufacture prosthetics. Now you actually have to follow yeah. through on the thing you said you were going to do. And this Did you is, do... Sorry. This is quite interesting because one of the things I'd learned was the laws are on a cooldown. You can only instigate laws every few days or so. Yeah, but you don't have to take every every time you get the opportunity to take a law. You don't. Oh yeah, you're not forced to. to do a law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, did you? Were you like forcing kids to work in mines because you were like, well, I've got to do something? No, no, no. I very quickly realised that I don't have to do something, and it was actually yeah. more the case that um, I. So there becomes a, a turning point in the game. I won't say what it is because if you haven't played it, it's a it's a hell of a moment. Oh, how are we gonna? We're gonna have to. We have to talk about. No, it. no, no. There's there is an event that desperately affects the hope of your people and i don't want to oh, say not what it that is. oh yeah we don't need to talk about that i because I, I, I wanted to talk about like the the last two weeks of the campaign oh no we'll talk about the last two weeks right is, at the end that, that is, is incredible there is an event that affects the hope and the thing is as well because i played through it multiple times i knew what that event was and i deliberately yeah. avoided it for the longest time yes yeah yeah <laughs> good, good. so there's an event that happens at promise hope and then you have to choose between a way to inspire the people and it's either faith or order yeah. Now, my first run through, I picked order. And you quickly learn that order basically means you are going to become a fascist despot. And, <laughs> and faith basically means uh, if you are not careful, you will become a religious fascist despot. And but they're both, they're both the same, really. They, they just, they're just labelled in different ways. I th but the, the order one seems more actively brutal mm. and because it, it, because they, they basically they basically just give you the same things like, like one uh, if, if you do order then you get these blaring megaphones that fire out propaganda mm. but if you do the religious one then you get a similar item but it just allows people to like pray it's like these little religious beacons but you sort of go well that's the same they operate as the same function it's just they've just framed it differently um sort of i found i so having done both paths Mm. The religious side of it, you can be very... If you sort of know that the game's trying to play this trick on you. Because I do... I, this is another thing about Frostpunk. Frostpunk has a very particular philosophical outlook on how humans behave in a crisis. Yeah. And it's very interesting to me that I feel like if you're not careful... Frostpunk will trick you into being depressed about this. Frostpunk's pretty nihilist about, <laughs> yeah, yeah, about yeah. how it sees humans in crisis. 
But if you are aware that the game is trying to play a trick on you, you can act, and credit to the developer, you can beat the game at its own trick. Because I took mm-hmm. the faith religious path, and I deliberately did not take the extreme measures that turn up down that path. No, no, no. You just you don't because you don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to. The game definitely the game nudges you. The game's like there is a for one thing. If you become a despot, if you literally there are laws in both paths that allow you to sign something to basically say you are an irremovable leader who cannot be questioned, yeah. and you can absolutely press that button. You will avoid being banished. Like basically, you will finish the campaign. It's just. Now, whether or not will there be? Will you be ruling over any alive people? <laughs> well, yeah. Will you be the last person alive? Is basically the question. Yeah. Um, but I feel like Frostpunk wants it. Kind of, I feel like it wants to teach you that lesson. I feel like it wants to teach you the lesson that oh, slipping into totalitarianism is oh, in a crisis, it's very easy to do. Which historically, sure, there's a lot of evidence to show that in a crisis, mm. you can be you can lose control of your civilization. There's a, a particular thing. This is a slight spoiler for the ending. Um, I don't feel like it's a story spoiler because basically the ending of the game sort of allows it sort of reflects on everything that you did. Yeah, and I knew it did that. <laughs> I found right, out by okay. accident that it did that, so I deliberately right. didn't go too far with the laws. And the game went, you didn't cross the line. You managed to yeah. keep control without. I mean, did you manage to do that? Or did you find yourself in a bit of a despot scenario? Uh, it wasn't a despot scenario necessarily. I, I the moment I realised, I was like, "This is probably going too far." Mm. Was the first in that first campaign? I went down the order route as well, mm. and uh, the mo- the worst it got was I had a propaganda ministry, yeah. and uh, one of the guys killed one of the guys shot himself. Wow. Um, yeah, one of the guys killed himself uh, because he was like, "I know we're doing wrong," and I was like, Ooh. "All right, let's dial it back. Let's dial, <laughs> let's dial that particular branch back." Um, and then once I completed it, I then went back and did it, di- di- just did the whole thing differently. Didn't go down either route, really. Okay. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, I was just determined to do the, that first campaign without any deaths at all. Um, and that's the game just... Insane. That's insane. Surely that's not possible. Oh, it's very possible. Yeah, can... it's very possible. No, come on. Someone... You've got... The... People no, die one... of old age. People just pass on, don't they? No, they don't. No. They... So you've got to, um... What was I going to say? There's uh, there's one bit you've got to like save scum over. It's almost like a glitch in the game. Okay. If you get your mm. engineers to work uh, extra shit, like a 24-hour shift. Yeah, which is a very uh, unpopular on- move, but is also a great example in the Book of Laws where it's like, sign that one as soon as you can because you will yeah, need it. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> well, the first one is extended shift, which extends shifts by two hours, and you go, well, that's fine. Yeah. But the 24-hour law, I uh, the first time... Anyone works twenty four hour shift, someone will die on the shift every single time. Really? And so what you got to do? Yes. Yeah, so what uh, you got to do is you've got to save scum for like twelve hours and just keep saving every five minutes, just so the game doesn't give an opportunity. Because every time you load the game up, they're not going to kill someone instantly. Right. So they give you a few minutes leeway. So like you just have. Uh, so once you've gotten through that, uh, it is very easy to keep everyone alive. It's really really easy because. Um, I mean, it, it I takes a lot. Of... But like, are you are you accepting the sick people when they arrive at your door? Because one of the I things... accepted every single person. You accepted yeah. every single. So again, yeah, yeah, something yeah. that happens in this game is that refugees sort of turn up at your door and say, "Allow us entry," and you can make decisions about, you know, do you let the healthy ones in? Do you let everyone in? Do you turn everyone yeah. away? And of course, this is an interesting problem because 
if you're like me, every time someone knocks on your door, you're going, I could build another factory if I get another group of people. I could yeah, build exactly, another resource exactly. post. So, exactly. You can get so on top of the game that you actively look forward to an influx of people. Yes, that's but true. But there's one of, the, one of the campaign missions is purely about refugees, and it's hundreds of increasingly ill people arriving. That's just... all, and by the end, they're already... And it's, that's, that's a really hard one. But I... Um, Sometimes in the game you just you just lose control. You just reach a point of no return, and you're just hearing that constant death knell bell ringing sound effect every mm. couple of seconds because it's just hundreds of people are dying, and you just sort of go, I, "I'm behind. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do." But yeah, um, yeah to, that first campaign is very doable without any deaths. Very I doable. I find that interesting. I mean, you've you've admitted that you had to save scum to get around it. So I think the philosophy again. I think the game design. Well, to get is that, that's to avoid one specific death. Sure, it's one specific. Uh, but it, feel, but but it feels. But it feels like a glitch. It feels like a glitch that's in the game that you cannot it, it, because after that, do a twenty-four hour shift. Almost no one will ever die on shift. It's just the first time you do it. Every time you sort of go, well, that's a glitch then. No, I think that's intent. I think that's intent. I think because I think what Frostpunk has in it that I re- that again is something that's really special about it. We talked about it in the Book of Laws. Mm. That is a moral choice system. Like they've put a moral yeah. choice system into the game, and they didn't tell you which was a good decision, which was a bad decision. They've mixed in practical things with moral things. Well, so they, they, they let you know in advance this will make people slightly. Unhappy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, because like, uh, like for instance, there's, there's like there's one law which is like. Um, oh, you can have twice as many people in a medical tent. You have twice as many patients. It means some people will sleep on the floor. Yeah. There is barely any rise in discontent, but it will cure twice as many people. And you go, 100% that one. Oh, I avoided that one because I thought it was going to lead to more deaths. I mean, did you ever press the triage button? That is an amazing what was the, moment. What was, the, what was the triage one? Is that the... So triage is you will cure half your patients immediately and you will oh, but... kill a quarter of them immediately. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not that. No, what, I, never, I never pressed that. I never sent kids... I, I did that once the... and it ruined my campaign. <laughs> it was just like the discontent can... shot up in a way that was unsavable. There, there, are, there are some where you sort of go, this cannot be good. Like, I never sent kids to work in every job. Never did that. Did you, you, did you use kids, children? You can get kids to help. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. See, I, you can get- my successful campaign, I didn't. My successful campaign, I built the children's home instead of putting children to work, and we still managed to do it. The children's home is a good one. The children's home yeah. is a good one. But the helping out in it with en- helping out of like engineers and stuff like that, I thought, oh, actually, that's quite a nice. It's quite a nice job. Yeah, yeah. The engineer, so that's, that's yeah. not too bad. There, there was someone I never pressed. Never built the brothel. Because no, I thought that just doesn't seem worth it. I never added sawdust to food. I did that. Um, I no, no. I think I did <laughs> soup. I you can you can pick a thin oh, soup. Always do soup. Always do soup. Soup's great. Soup's a fine one to do. Um, I never did um, bo- the body pit. I never did that one. Oh no! Did um, you do cemeteries as well? Did you do? Well, not on the first campaign because nobody oh. died. Uh, yeah. Oh, you lucky have to, you! you Doesn't have to build a cemetery. <laughs> Um, and then there are a few more I never did as well. There were some really like dodgy looking ones where I was like, that doesn't seem okay. Like there's, n- there's got to be no benefit to doing that. The brothel one in particular. Well, yeah, the brothel one I think is it's like it, it, it keeps people content, but slowly erodes hope, which I think that was fair hope, hope goes down. I found that quite funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that it just, some, you, some of the laws feel desperate and unnecessary. Definitely. Did you ever pursue the religious path to the point where you got, um, it's essentially like uh, religious hospitals. Yes, the religious hospital is amazing. 
The Village Hospital is fascinating because it basically says you need to build it because people want it because it gives them hope, but it is less efficient than a hospital. Yeah, it takes twice as long. But I was like, do you know what? Just having people being treated means they won't die. And it, yeah. that, that, that is fine. It just keeps them out of the way. Um, yeah, that, that was great. Because also, I like. so we should, we should talk about the finale. Okay, yes. Yeah, so this is the thing. Because that, that is... Yeah. I loved it so much it, but, because that that helped that that the game is so immersive yeah. and it's so emotive as well and it's just so like I hate the use of the word epic I hate it so much but uh, okay. it really did feel incredible I think, and just so atmospheric I think epic does apply to this because the scale of what you were doing is like you the, as, it's not quite necessarily clear, but you might be among the last living humans on Earth. Exactly. Yeah. So it yeah. does. You feel the responsibility of this might be an extinction moment for humanity. Yeah. And I like the way the graphics work in this particular bit. What happens is, as as we were saying, you send out your hunting parties every night who go and collect food. Mm. Uh, you you know you send out your explorers. And they find, you know, they find exciting stuff to bring back or you can set up sort of supply posts where every day they can bring back more coal and iron and stuff like that. Now, eventually you reach, there's dozens of these locations. It's really exciting. There's just so many. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and each of them's got their own little story to tell. But eventually, yeah, you reach this corner of the map where they realise we think there's an enormous storm coming. We think yeah. there is an absolutely enormous storm coming. And over the course of the coming weeks, every time you zoom out into this huge map of all the locations you previously visited, you can see the storm overtaking the map and it freezes over the locations you've previously yeah. visited. And you go, we can't go there, we can't go there. And as a result, you have to eventually shut down your outposts one by one and go, right, these guys are going to come home. Let's bring everyone. There's something really exciting, like getting everyone on the lifeboats into Titanic, just really exciting about just a rescue operation of just get everyone back in. Yeah. And over the course of that time as well, you're trying to hurriedly send out your explorers to just find all the last remaining outposts just to make sure we've got everything sorted but during that time as well you can see you keep spotting on the map oh there's this group of refugees who spotted this group of refugees spotted shall we accompany them and help them in and you're just helping hundreds of people come into your city mm. all the while trying to make it insulated enough so it's gonna be ready for the storm and the game tells you during the storm no one's gonna be able to work everyone's gonna be indoors yeah. we've got to make sure we've got enough supplies no one can go outside and that just felt so and the music just keeps ramping up it was just so exciting because as i said i've only ever played these strategy games before where, where you know a scripted event will just be a one-off occasion like mm. the king is hosting a meal a banquet you know that sort of thing like you get in crusader kings yes, yeah. or you know or, or a big battle in age of empires but the idea of there's an event happening in a few weeks and all your actions towards it you can see it yeah. happening whilst it's taking place i've i'd never encountered something like that in a game before i just couldn't believe it and i was just hunched over my playstation <laughs> just pouring buckets of sweat unlike anyone else in that city because <laughs> it was yeah. just amazing it was so so amazing and it felt really satisfying once it reached that stage of i think we're ready I th yeah i think we're ready to just turn shut the city down and and get everyone inside their homes because you can see the temperature keep lowering as well and the, and it's got this quite nice little visual dynamic a bit like when a character is freezing in a game and they've got mm. little tendrils of frost around the outside the temperature you know the thermometer sort of freezing over it was just brilliant it was so brilliant i loved it did this have any effect on you so the thing about the storm is i i i'm look i I'll, i've already said i had to play this game four times to get to the end and sure my first two runs were awful 
so I, I the but first why, two you know, times. Why, why, but why, why would they be good? Why would they? Be? Why would they? The, be the good? game doesn't. The game. The game doesn't really hold your hand. It, t- it tells you everything you need to know. Well, but that mm, fundamentally is that that on its own isn't enough. I'm not sure it the game enough. does tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> but that, but isn't but isn't that a necessary part of a game? It, it, it cannot tell you well, everything. I mean, it, like it, it, you know, it gives you a bit of information. Like oh, in a couple of days' time, it's going to get a bit colder. That sort of thing. It, 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 it does. It tells, well, but this is the thing: is it doesn't tell you that that's what that means. It doesn't tell you to look for that the thing the thing my main sure. critic we won't i'll sort of hold off a little bit on this because i want to talk about the storm in detail but i do think of there course. is a problem with this game about telling you how it works um okay but the thing about the storm was well eventually i got to the stage where i found out a storm was coming yeah and i also got this sensation of okay this is the finale of the game yeah um it basically becomes very apparent when the storm is coming that actually if you know it's coming there are loads of things you can immediately stop caring about there's lots yeah. of things. So you basically realise, okay, it's just about coal and food now. We had we had to care about steel and wood in order to get to the stage where we could get as much coal and uh, food as possible. But now we're, yeah. we're so done with, with steel and wood. Just get coal and food. And so everything yeah. now, you're piling every single resource into these things. And even though I knew it was coming, even though I knew the only things I had to care about were food and coal to survive the oncoming storm, yeah, it still was so close that it nearly wiped me out in the last chapter. Really? E- even though I'm playing as optimally as I think I can with the resources I've got. Again, I'm not great at these games, but I'm really doing everything I can. And I, I, I agree with you. There are moments in the... Um, because you have this this center generator that basically uh, decides how warm everywhere is going to be. Yeah. And you can set it to different levels and different ranges as you research more. And because I knew that the game ends in a massive storm on my fourth go, I was like, right, I've just got to prioritise heating the city. I cannot, like, I've got to immediately get through all the upgrade levels. I've got to immediately get all the power upgrades as quickly as possible because this is not going to be survival. And there are times where in the final storm, I'm at the override switch. And if if you override the generator, it blows up, which is how my third ran ended. What? Uh, you blew it up. I've I blew it up. I blew it up. I lost track of what wow. was going on with the override. I became way too dependent on the override switch. So I'm, 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 and the override, the red bar is like at eighty percent, eighty-five, ninety, and I'm just basically having to play a game of clicking it, letting it drop fifteen yep. percent, yeah. clicking it, letting it rise fifteen percent. It's the only way I can survive the storm. And I'm watching my coal go from tens of thousands to single thousands into the hundreds and i'm going we're so close we're so close we can do this managed to actually and and this is the thing i've never ever played a strategy game where i'm sat there looking at a single switch and i've got sweat on my brow going i've got to get this right it is so it's excellent isn't it and the nice thing is the game allows you to just focus on that element because during that storm, there's nothing else you can do. No. You, I mean, sure, you can try and stop the hospitals and stuff like that, but, like, your engineers are all gone home. You're not researching anything else. Everyone is just at home. Pubs are closed. It's all, you know, everything is stopped. So all you are focusing on is just that coal element and the food. Um, and it's and that's why it felt... Because, I mean, if you play as optimally as you can which does involve a knowledge of how every event goes and what mm. you know every temperature drop and stuff like that the amount of coal and food you can get is is astonishing like i yeah. i found when i when i did the second run through of the campaign 
um, you, you can get these sort of like huts where you put, you leave all your surplus food or coal. And, mm. that it, you know, if you've got like a bit of extra coal left over, because otherwise you reach a limit and, you know, you, yes. your villagers can't gain anything else. You can then get these huge hangers which are, which you can fill with like thousands oh, of food really? and stuff like that. I never got yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that'd have been good. But, yeah, but it's like an upgraded version of the supply hut, whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, but they cost they cost a lot of steel and wood. They're really expensive to build, but they will hold thousands. Um, I had probably about a dozen of those for each resource. So by the end, I had like tens and tens of thousands of coal, tens and tens of thousands of food. And the whole city was just run by automatons because eventually I had an automaton running a factory. So that was making automatons every day, all day, every day. Um, so it meant when the storm actually hit, all villagers were at home. They were either at home or in the hospital being cared for by automatons. And that actually, it almost actually felt quite boring, the storm, because I was just watching. <laughs> no, no one was getting ill. No one was dying. And you're just sort of watching it happen going, yeah, we, I couldn't, we couldn't run out of coal if I tried. I didn't but have surely, to touch the override switch once. Surely you had that moment, though, where even if you got the generator running at the highest level in the highest range, would you, would and you the have override switch is on, people are still in freezing cold conditions. And you still... They are, but did, you, but did, the, did they all live in houses? That's yes, I, did, I got up to houses. I did, I did something that possibly wasn't necessarily a brilliant idea. But I basically started working on the principle of building neighbourhoods where I would use... You can build, like, an extension of the generator, generator called a steam yeah. core. And then I would build, like, neighbourhoods around the steam core. Good idea. Um, and then... But it's also but it's also a brutal idea because sometimes I'm there going, oh, shit, we're about to run out of coal. So shut down that one. So, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking yeah, yeah. for the neighbourhood that has, like, workplaces rather than houses. or And it's got, like, maybe one house that I built there in a desperate moment. And I went, sorry, single yeah. house. It's too... It's costing me too much. I can't keep you. Um, but the thing, the thing about that, and I think that's super admirable about that, and you mentioned it earlier, this is not a genre of video games that is good at storytelling. Strategy games are really genuinely quite bad at storytelling. In terms of, like, yeah. when you... When you think about the, the strategy games that have really good stories, so Warcraft, Starcraft are generally known for having pretty good storylines. Um, the way they do it is, is cutscenes. It's cutscenes and talking yeah. heads, and it's a very disconnected way of doing story. It's not necessarily, like, bad exactly. Like I say, those two games are renowned for having quite entertaining, engaging stories. But this is a game that does the thing that video games should do, which is that you actually see the story affect the mechanics in a way that makes you feel more immersed and connected to what you are actually doing. This is a yeah. game in which the story... I always... It's always this thing that stuck with me, is that a, a video game story is not the cutscenes in the script, it is the things that happen in the game. Yeah. So when the storm hits, okay, that's a scripted event, but the story is, I had to shut down a generator in a neighbourhood to keep everyone else alive. And that's not something that obviously turns up for everybody. And that's not something that the game will necessarily recognise beyond a death count goes up and my ability to find people. But that that's the story. Yeah. And it's a beautifully, like... The game is so bleak in terms of its presentation. And it's so bleak in terms of, like, your starting point is mankind is headed north to find warmth, which is the most depressingly <laughs> stupid thing I've ever heard in my life. Um... And it, it sells it, but it doesn't feel like... When you play a game like The Last of Us, where every, every moment of The Last of Us is scripted, oh, that game is so scripted, it can't wait to push you down a path and surprise you with exactly the same thing every single time you play it. Yeah. Um, and it works beautifully in that genre and the way that that game works on. But Frostpunk is a game that doesn't need to make it... It doesn't need to put, like... Uh, 
a, a, cr- a character crying on screen. You can feel the sadness. You can feel the bleakness because you're aware of what's going on. Yeah. And that's... It's, so, it, 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 it's remarkable how... It, yeah, it's... Uh, and I can't describe... I don't, I don't know if it's because the decisions you're making aren't just what you get in Age of Empires where it's, we built a stables today. It's like, no, <laughs> we built... It's, it's, we built this fighting arena because people need to take out their anger and frustration mm. every day or in the evening and every every night you can hear the bell ring as the fighting gets underway and you're sort of like fuck this is horrible yeah this town is horrible but it's um it but feels it's, really hope it's it's hopeful in a weird way it's it's i think it's a really excellent example of mechanics as storytelling and i think the reason mm. i really really found it successful in that regard is because i can't think of another game in this genre that is as successful as mechanics and storytelling and then when you see it happen in frostpunk you think actually this is obvious this is something that this genre has always been able to do it's always mm-hmm. been able to i think there is actually a moment in one of the warcraft games where um like a plague strikes and suddenly all of your units get converted to enemy units and you go what the hell um yeah. but this this like this game is telling a story that if you were to try and tell it as a film, you could probably make an effective film, but it wouldn't be the same story. It wouldn't be the story that you understood and that you got no, to follow absolutely. on. They're currently right now making a Last of Us television show, and I'm pretty sure the story of the Last of Us television show is going to be very similar to the game that I played. <laughs> yeah, because, but, but it, you know, it's... They, they wouldn't have pretended any, anything... You know, they wouldn't have pretended otherwise, because yeah. that's... It would be awful if they just sort of go, no, we, we, we uh, in this one, Joel, uh, Joel doesn't do anything morally ambiguous. It's just he's just a good guy. And you go, what? <laughs> That's not no, no. But this is the um, thing. It's it's the thing is is it's that distinction between. I think the thing that Frostpunk is really successful as is that okay, it does it does literally throw scripts upon the screen. It does literally say something has happened, and it will it will do little clever emotional things. Sometimes a kid will yeah, there's little things. Oh, this this father wants to rush up the city to find his daughter. Yeah, and yeah. You sort of go, oh, surely it's certain death if we send him. But you go, I know what's going to happen. Of course, I know the game is bleak, but it's not so bleak that if I let the father go out the city, they're going to go. We found his frozen corpse a few weeks later. Of course, he of course he died a fucking idiot. Oh, it's I never thought, that. Like, I totally I, I, thought that could happen. No, I I just assumed I was like the game is so like obviously the game is emotional enough that this guy running out to find his daughter. Of course, they're going to be fine. So I I sent him out. I was like, go go and do it, do it because I I and then sure enough, a few weeks later, he comes back with his daughter, and they go, it's a miracle, and everyone's really happy. That, but that, go, yeah, that's if you can send him out with food. I've had that event yes. happened to me and I didn't have the food to send him out he just left and died but, oh, I, no, but this okay, is the thing right. is you also have the option you have the option to stop him leaving the city Yeah. but then I have that moment of sitting there going he wants to leave if I force him to stay surely I've made like there's a part of it's like no come on it's it, his life is his responsibility this is what he yeah. wants to do if I get in his way I'm I'm like he won't be satisfied he will become miserable mm. and it's not fair on me to do that to someone else and this is the thing like that that's something that this genre has always had at its at its fingertips is this ability yeah. to go you are a responsible person in power how do you treat your citizens because in age of empires you tell someone to go chop wood they'll chop wood for the rest of their lives they won't yeah. care. they don't care <laughs> they'll just do what you tell them immediately and forever whereas in this game like you'll send someone to go work down uh, in a coal mine and then a message will come up saying uh, the workers have asked if they could not go down the coal mine. They'd like to spend the day praying because of the oncoming storm that they think is going to wipe them out. And then you have to sit yeah. there going, do I, like, from the management perspective, from the management, I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? We need coal. Go back <laughs> down the mine. But another part of me is like, 
I mean, yeah, if you were if you were in that situation, you probably would want to spend time with your family because you might be about to die. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm, I was absolutely blown away and impressed by that. I think in terms of presentation, you're absolutely right. The presentation on this game is fantastic. They've done very, very well with what does not feel like a AAA game budget. There's no, like, there's a cutscene at the start with some voiceover. Outside of that, it's all music and script. There's no major production elements beyond that. And they do a very good job with minimal, with a, with a sort of minimalistic approach almost. Yeah, it's um, just yeah, it's just what feels like sort of hand drawn images occasionally pop up. Yeah, where they go, uh, this boy's injured himself in the factory. Do you, will you will you shut down the factory for a day? And you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's okay. Yes, you're right. It's unreasonable to keep you working in the factory. <laughs> but but the okay, problem with Frostpunk. Here we go. And it's a, it's an inherent flaw of the genre. Is the yeah. reason that I failed a lot of the time is it's just a game where you don't realise that something is or is not happening because there's so many things going on and the game the, the game has all of these games have this like internalised idea that either A, you have played this genre of game before and know exactly how to play it or B, of course you'll figure out you need to do this. For example, collecting the coal. Collecting the coal is not something the game tells you you have to, like tells you this is how you do it. But then also it won't tell you things like the gathering posts, which are a thing that you can install and anything in its radius, people will gather things and bring it back to the gathering post. But they don't, yes. when you start the game, they don't say, oh, the first thing you should do is build a gathering post. It just no, says, no, no. But that, but fetch that's a recommendation. Coal. You can do it without the gathering post, but if you look at, well, let's, let's look at the buildings we create. We could create a hut. Uh, or we, go, we can create tents. Tents yep. allow people to sleep and give them warmth. And then you go, oh, the upgrade of that is a house, and the house provides even more warmth. It does tell you what a gathering post is. It does, because... but only, only if you click on the menu, you click on the resource, you hover over gathering yeah, post, but you by read that the point, description, but and by then that you go, point, oh. But by that point, you've got to look at the buildings that you got that you want to have, right? I mean, I, uh, the, the game could do with a, a tutorial, but then that would remove the whole element of fuck, we've just been left in this crater, where do we even begin? And I think we get, the game is forgiving, forgiving you a good, what, two days before you even need to turn the generator on? It does. But, like, for example, I spent a very long... Because because I've played a genre game before, I assumed yeah. the thing I needed to do to gather coal was build something called, like, Coal Gatherer, or, like, Coal Mine, yeah, 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 or thing. Fair. And I'm going, what? No? And then eventually, eventually I figure out, oh, there are resources scattered around that I can just click on and say, pick up. Yeah. And then I'm going, oh, okay. So they click that, on and then they pick up. To do it, yeah. And, and then, then I do that Ill. for a while. And then eventually I find out about the gathering post. And I go, oh, okay, okay. So we use the gathering post. So then I'm, when I'm on the second run, I'm going, okay, gathering posts in the most efficient places to catch the most resources. That's great. Coal thumper. Okay. If I put a gathering post next to the coal thumper, then they'll be able to gather the coal from the coal thumper. Oh, hang on. The coal thumper has now reached its storage limit. But I've put a gathering post next to it with the full amount of people, the most people that can work on it, turns out the coal thumper is more efficient than people picking up the coal. Yep. And that, again, is something that you will just never learn until it's happened, and now you're in a crisis, because now... <laughs> but, isn't that, but isn't that a fundamental part of the game of dealing with stuff as it happens? Sure, you've got the scripted events, you've got the chaos of, oh, you know, we'll have to deal with this temperature drop as it happens. But also, you are, like, you, you, you as the head of the city, are learning these things alongside... The villagers, because you go, we've never been, we've, like, you, you as the leader of a city have presumably never built a city before. Sure. 
I think it does work almost sort of thematically. I mean, it, yeah, it could do a better job of explaining, but these are these are issues that you know you're gonna. Uh, sure, it will lead to people. It probably leads to a few deaths. Sure, but this is a game where ultimately it it was so hard. It was <laughs> so so hard to do this with zero deaths in each of the I, campaigns. I'm as surprised well. you bothered. I don't know why. I, I just, just want. I just. I just want. I don't know. I, I cared. I don't is know why. Is there a trophy? Is there an achievement you get for doing it? No, not as far no. as I remember. And also, I don't care about the. Tr- I just don't care about PlayStation trophies. Well, at all. that's the only but thing I could think that would justify as to why you thought it was necessary to try and it, do it's it. It's this weird perfectionist element of like, I want this to be as efficient as possible. I really want this to be a flawless. I don't know why. I don't know why. I just I, maybe it was a give me a sense of purpose during lockdown. I don't know. But <laughs> I played it in January when I was allowed to go outdoors. Um, but that I is, think that is the month to do it. I think in the bleakest winter is to sync up with this game in terms of just like exactly, it is cold, exactly. burn the coal. Yeah. So I, I, I yeah. I, um, the these are things that can lead to deaths, but the, you know the game is quite forgiving with the number of deaths it takes for you to actually fail. We're talking like mm. you, you need to have lost eighty percent of your city for you to fail. And that sounds like the game's being generous. It, it's very easy to reach. It's that. very easy to do that, and it and it gives you a and full it, it does go warning. It do, like it will go. Exactly. You have X amount of days to raise hope, or you are going to be kicked out. Yeah, and that's that's when usually for me in failed campaign attempts, it, that, it that's when it just snowballed for me, and I was like, I'm fucked. I'm absolutely fucked. The hospitals yeah. are just so full of dying people. I I don't know what to do. Um, yeah, and, yeah. Oh, but I think so. And then you're right to suggest that like you do sort of learn some things as you go. Like obviously, obviously you learn everything about the game as you go along because it's how it works. Yeah. But then there are some things that it does that are amazingly bizarrely obtuse like uh, there's a system in the game where you have streets that connect buildings to other buildings all oh, right to- okay I, I know i know the concept of this podcast is you even if you like the game you criticize the game yeah and then i've got to like defend it to the death yeah <laughs> i cannot defend the street building. the street system i is cannot so it obtuse. is astonishingly bad it is astonishing bad and the way the villagers prioritize which bits of a street to build because yeah. you cannot have a functioning building unless it has a street next to it that connects all the way to the generator yeah. or the rest of the city but it, it, you build like two bits of street that's all you need they'll only build one of them and they'll go we'll come back to the second batch in a few weeks it, it, the, yeah. it, it, the game pr- or you build one long bit of street and they'll bi- they'll build like one bit of it and then they'll walk for half a mile to build another bit of it and you go this is the least efficient way you could be <laughs> doing this and there was one period where I couldn't I nearly had to restart the campaign over this I was trying to send out the supply team out everywhere, you know, to, to explore the locations. Yeah. But obviously, to build that hot air balloon element. Oh no, no, it wasn't. It was. It was the people. It was when you send out like um, people to come out and bring coal back every few days. That that thing. Mm. That has to be built on like the side of a cliff, so it's built very far away from your city. I couldn't get them to build the street in any direction, to the point I eventually just had to demolish it and just start all over again. And it took days and days and days. The villagers just weren't building that road and the game thought they had. It is so, so weird. It's a really, really bad system of a game I absolutely almost unconditionally love. I, you've you've reminded me <laughs> of something I had almost mentally blocked out. Well, the thing about the street system, I totally understand why the street system exists. I think I understand why it exists because the whole premise of the game is that it really wants you to build around the generator and then build outwards. Yes. But then it creates conflicts in that some of the resources are further are like right at the edge of where you're allowed to build. Yes. So it's going, okay, look, there is a you can build further out, but there is a punishment. You have to connect it back to the straight. Otherwise, and it the, will be the idea 
Yeah, It'll be the, freezing over there as well, yeah. And the idea of the radial building system, if you could just build anywhere in this radial system, there, there's like a, there's a system, in, the systems of the game I think are designed in such a way that you will regret building something where you did at a later point. There will yeah. be a perfect location that you gave to a workplace and you're like, I need to put houses there, but if I delete the workplace, I'm going to lose these. And like, great, that's resource management, game design. That's exactly what yeah. you should do. And the game's basically going, oh no, the streets system is to stop you from doing that. Except, as you pointed out, they don't always build it efficiently. The thing I hated most about it was I would then build a building and go, okay, connect it with the street, and it would go, you don't have enough wood. And I'll go, okay, can I, can I like tell you where the street's going to be? And then when you get the wood, <laughs> you yeah. can build it. And they will go, yeah. no, no, that's impossible. We can't understand that concept. And I'm going, okay, fine. I will wait until the wood come out. Fast forward. Okay, we got wood now. Now you can build the street. And it's just, it, it seems arbitrary and it's annoying. It's not like a major blemish. It's just an annoying, bizarre system. The thing about this game is, is that I went in expecting it to be a huge, sprawling, terrifying strategy game. Yes. And it wasn't. It was quite a small, like, this enclosed crater that you're in, that's the entire game, basically. Yeah. You can do these expeditions that go out, and they, they as you say, they bring in these text stories and things, and that's cool, but that's almost like a, a new resource you have to manage. You're in this crater for the whole game. And so I went, oh, I thought this game came out at full retail. I thought this game was a full AAA release. I go look it up. No, it came out 25 quid. And when I found out that it was originally released at that lower price bracket, I was like, okay, I've, I've got to readjust because obviously that's t the developers saying by putting it at that price point, okay, it's not a huge game. It is the game that I've yeah. made and I've set it at the right point. And then I start to realize as I'm playing, I'm like, actually, I thought this was a full retail price game. And when I thought it was a full retail price game, I was like, this is good, but I imagine it's going to run out of content. When I found out it's 25 quid, I'm like, oh, actually, I've now realized this is one of the best 25 pound games that exists. <laughs> This is yeah, but it's a, it's a, it's a weird one how we judge games based on that, which which is absolutely sort of fair enough. It's fair enough that like I, for instance, have always disagreed with like the Hitman titles coming out mm. at seventy quid, and I'm like, there's, I I know they're like, but you can replay it and kill the enemy with this weapon instead. I'm like, no 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 no, one playthrough should be enough with a game like that. One genuinely yes, doing all the combinations yeah. should be enough. And you go, in which case you can do the game in two hours. That's not 70 pounds. Whereas like, I permanently feel that like the Nobel prize should be given to the guy who made Stardew Valley, considering he made every single element but it, and composed the music and animated every pixel. I'm like, that, that that makes the game go up in my estimation. More so than if it had been built by a team of 100 people. Even I, I, And I know that's not really logically how things should work. We should all present games with the same level of interest and respect if they... If there's something we're interested in and respect. I think it's more this idea that when I found out that it didn't release at that full £50 price point, yeah. my understanding of the scale the developer had set themselves changed. I, I came to realise okay. I came to realise that this game being a game that you can beat in five hours is not an accident, it is design. It, yeah. is, it is deliberately five hours long if you know what you're doing. And I love it for that. I absolutely mm. love it for being the exact correct length that I can sit down of an evening and go, I'm doing Frostpunk tonight. I'm going to sit down and play yeah. Frostpunk and get as far as I can in five hours and see what I can do. That is such a satisfying way to play a video game. I love a video game that you can beat in an evening and it feels like you did the whole... like it, it, Obviously comparing it to like a film. Yeah. But in a way, it's sort of like... 
I was so glad this game. It does have an endless mode. You can click an endless mode and play it. It does. I had no, no interest in exactly. That. And also, it does have it does have a bunch of different campaigns, but they're all variations on a theme. You know, it's, there's one where it's like it's a bit like the bus in Speed. It's like oh, the whole the whole concept of this game is you've got these four greenhouses that need to be kept at a certain temperature for two weeks. That's, yeah. that's kind of what the whole thing is. Uh, yeah, I get it, uh, and I wanted. I loved the camp. I loved that first campaign, a new home or whatever it was, so much that I was like, I just, I would happily just pay more Frostpunk. I cannot wait for the sequel. Um, yeah, but yeah, as someone who's trying to finish 101 games in a year, I also love a you also love a trick one yeah. when I can. Um, but this was a game where once I finished that first campaign, I was like, no, 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 I'm not counting that as completed. Let's do all the campaigns because I, I, I was like, I, I want to see more of this. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was. I, I just loved, and and again, it was so. It interested me to zero extent when I first read the re- reviews when it first came out. I glossed over the reviews. I was like, I, "This isn't this isn't going to be for me," mm. uh, and I'm so so glad I played it because it's uh, and you know it hasn't changed my outlook on strategy. It hasn't made me suddenly fling myself headfirst back into strategy games and go, "Oh my god, I need to play well, this game or whatever." Yeah. You know, but it's but because think- it is it is its own thing. It's yeah. a, a, you know, there's not like oh, if you like Frostpunk, you might enjoy. But, but you know, it, it, if if you enjoyed it, then you're more likely to enjoy. Survival games, or maybe Crusader Kings, one that has those little scripted events. I don't know, but there's I can't really compare it to many other things. Well, you know how earlier we started off with Observation? We talked about yeah. Observation being... I, the thing yeah. I loved about Observation was I think I beat it in two sittings. And I yeah. did it, lights off, headphones on, very atmospheric, very dark. Obviously, completely different genre, completely different other side of the yeah. games. But Steampunk... Uh, Frost... Oh, damn it. Yes. Frostpunk. Sacrilege. Frostpunk and Observation have that same thing to me in that they're in that sort of the best kind of game you can beat in a sitting. The best kind of game where you sort of sit down and you lock into it and you immerse and then you finish it and you stand up and you walk away and you're done with it. And I kind of love it for that because I feel like way too many games are... If you were trying to make this game to a AAA budget and you turned out with a five-hour campaign... The publisher's going to come back and go, no, you're making this a 50-hour game. You are in the strategy genre. The point of the strategy genre is that you never, ever stop playing it. Well, maybe the risk is that's what's going to happen with Frostpunk 2. You know, I really hope budget they don't. Behind it. I, I, ho- I really hope not. Because also, they- I'm like, what, I don't know what the campaign could be that's exciting as a small bunch of villagers have arrived in this new place. Um, but I like that as a genre. I like that as a genre of just... You know, non AAA games yeah. that do take five hours. I, 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 the Forgotten City was one I played a couple of weeks ago. I again would never have even heard of it mm. if it mm. had come out a couple of years ago. But a game that I did play in about two sittings because I was like, yeah. And both times it was like, right, let's sit down for three hours at a time and just focus on this because you need. There's a lot of stuff to remember and a lot of stuff to engage with, but not so much that you sort of go, oh, this would stand the test of time. This would, <laughs> this would be interesting over twenty five hours. It was yeah. just fun over five. You know. Yeah. No. I and this thing. Mm. So. This podcast has had it's had a few games that have managed to get the title of best video game I've never played, but the two okay. that the two that have stood out to me is like the two that are sort of fighting at the top for the for the actual title right now are Return of yeah. the Obra Dinn. Great, uh, okay, I can't fault that. I love Return of the Obra Dinn, and again, Return of the Obra Dinn, kind of a game you can beat in about five or six hours. And if you know what yeah. you're, do- the problem with Return of the Obra Dinn is if you know what you're doing, the game is solved. You shouldn't is- be playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and the other one was a game called uh, Wonder Song. Um, which I absolutely loved, and that game was about ten hours. Um, okay, it's a beautiful, lovely video game. It's sort of um, uh, I really liked it because I thought it was very emotive in a way that I didn't expect, and very cheery and funny. I've, 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 never, I've never heard of it. I've, oh, it's it's wonder, It's beautiful. It's a beautiful game. Go I'll in, check it out. Go in with some okay. middle low expectations and have them 
be blown away because it's definitely the way to go because I went in right. going this looks cute and I'll beat it in three hours and then by the end I was like I love this game um, but so this game is now I'm going to be honest with you this game is now in this territory so yes! I think yeah I've been like I've been I've been as critical as I can be and the best I could do was yeah. the street thing's a bit weird and I wish it told me how to play it better and I really I think the truth is yeah yeah, I'm going to say it. Frostpunk is one of the best video games I've never played. It absolutely Yes. I it it couldn't have had more going against it going in. It's in the it's not in a genre I like. It's not in a particular I'm not particularly fond of like and uh, it's coming it's coming from someone who doesn't like the genre either. Yeah, it's like this just is it, listen, this is it. just give us a go. And, like, and it's like I'm not I wasn't going in and going like, "Oh, what an intriguing premise." Like it's a pretty cool premise, but it's not like it like was in my particular uh, tastes and fancies didn't grab a part of yes. my brain that was like, ooh, where's this going? Um, so I went in with the expectation of someone going like, okay, I'll tolerate this. And by the end, I'm going, yeah, I like this. I really like this, actually. And I'm the, even after this conversation when we're talking about someone like, no, actually, I don't think I've ever played a game that's been that effective in that moment. So you've got it. You've absolutely knocked yes. it out of the park. You did exactly what you should have done by destroying any hope of like the expectations I had for it beforehand. <laughs> by like... <laughs> picking something i never thought i was gonna like and i absolutely love it so thank you so much for recommending this game thank and you. bringing it on glenn it's been an absolute treat oh lewis it's been a delight thank you so much for having me not at all i mean i'm assuming now you're going to go off and stream more video games in a uh, couple of minutes yeah in, in about minutes. seven minutes time uh where can people find you streaming video games they can find me on twitch uh my username is just glenn moore and you can find me on there. Uh, it, the, the schedule varies because now that lockdown is pretty much over and gigs and the like are back, uh, I'm sort of juggling on there. Mm. Usually it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, from uh, 3 p.m. Uh, UK time and then Friday nights from 8 p.m. where I play horror games. But Fantastic. usually on a stream, we'll play four video games for about 45 minutes at a time and just try and race for as many as we can. So I'm trying to finish three games today yeah, very, out of four I'm playing. Very quickly, which three games are you playing today? Uh, well, it's four games. So I'm starting with Stardew Valley just because I, that's going to take another month or so. Sure. Um, then I'm trying to finish Concrete Genie, which I'm not enjoying. The okay, Forest, yeah. which I'm kind of enjoying. And Sexy Brutal, which I've really been enjoying. And that I think is... I can finish those latter three. And then Deathloop comes out. So that, that's what the rest of the week streams will just be. Deathloop, Deathloop, Deathloop. Definitely. You fantastically managed to pick four games I've played none of. So I hope they're all good. <laughs> I hope yeah, they're good I, do you know what? It's because I've run out of all the famous games. <laughs> well, uh, best of luck with them. I hope you managed to get thank your you game sorted. Much. And thank you very thank much you. for coming on. Cheers. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. That was Glenn Moore. A uh, huge thanks to Glenn for coming onto the show. Um, I just reached out to him uh, to, to see if he'd be interested in doing it, and he was excellent at getting back to me. Very polite, very lovely, uh, wonderful guest. I'm so happy he agreed to do it. He introduced me to one of the best video games I've never played. Uh, an absolute delight, an absolute treat. Uh, I really hope you've enjoyed listening to it. I think Glenn and I had a, had a lovely chat there, and I, I think it was really nice. I was so worried he was going to recommend a game to me that I didn't like. And then this this man who I've invited on out of the blue, who I don't really know outside of this podcast, I was going to have to just basically break him down and go, oh, no, the game you like's rubbish. I was so worried that it was just going to be me me inviting somebody on to to tell them I didn't like their taste and then sending them on their way. But fortunately, it wasn't that. It was a lovely video game. It's the kind of thing that made me really glad that I've started doing this show because it was exactly the kind of thing I'm looking for. It's something I would never have picked up by myself. It's something I never would have sought out and tried to play. And then after I played it, I'm, I had my expectations completely blown out of the way and I, I really, really loved it. 
so a huge thanks to Glenn. You can, of course, as has been mentioned, you can go and stream Glenn's uh, stuff on Twitch. Definitely go look him up. If you Google Glenn Moore Twitch, you'll definitely find it. Uh, and, of course, keep an eye out for him on things like Mock the Week. Uh, I, I think he's definitely been recording more stuff for television, so hopefully we'll, we'll see him on our, our screens uh, again in the future. If you like this podcast, and hopefully you do because you're right here at the end, please drop it a review on iTunes, uh, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify. I don't know if you can review on Google Podcasts or Spotify, but I'm sure you can You can put a nice thumb up somewhere in the world uh, for this podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to the show if you've just joined the show and you've never listened to it before. Please do subscribe to it. We're available on all of the major podcast platforms. Uh, if you go to pod.link slash bestgame, you can find a link to all of the ways that you can subscribe to this podcast. Uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, you'll you'll have fun listening to some of the other episodes. Definitely go back. We, as was mentioned, I've done an episode on Observation. That's a really fascinating listen, particularly because I talked to somebody who doesn't necessarily like the game as much as Glenn and I did. So if you want to hear someone be more critical of that game, please do go seek out that episode. Apart from that, uh, Any Suggestions Doctor, the improvised Doctor Who show that I do, is currently on tour. Go to anysuggestionsimprov.co.uk for tour dates uh, and find out where you can come and see that show. Otherwise, blimey, these outros are getting long. Otherwise... Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. 